0: How about those health messages? Blessing? Amen. We're going to have an entire session dedicated to what the Bible says about our health. How we're supposed to take care of our bodies. What does the Lord say about health? Coming up next Sabbath. will so give you a little sneak preview. So, it's been an exciting week, amen? We've talked about hell. We've talked about death. Talked about the rapture. Second coming of the Lord. Today we're going to talk about the U.S. and Bible prophecy. And I promise you that they can keep getting exciting as we go. So this is the session 13, over halfway there. What does the Bible say about the United States? It doesn't say anything. Before we start any word of the, study, the study of any word of God, let's open with a word of prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly and Glorious Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, thank you for this beautiful Sabbath rest, this gift that you've given us as a memorial to your creation, to your glory. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you freely and with the liberty to enjoy that worship. Lord, we also thank you for these truths. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of your Son, for the gift of salvation, and also for that glorious patience and long-suffering that you show to your people. Lord, I ask you now, please send your Holy Spirit, send your angels down to be with us as we open your word, as we open your truths, so that we can become closer to you and we can understand your plan. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. The United States and Bible prophecy. The United States of America. One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We've heard the words, amen? This nation's indigenous people were joined 500 or so years ago in the 15th century when Christopher Columbus found this land in 1513 a Spanish conquistador named Ponce de Leon came to the shores of Florida. What we know as Florida today He called it La Florida Spanish British and Dutch settlements later followed and then this land started to grow started to prosper and by the late 18th century we had what would become known as the 13 American colonies. They had a population of approximately 3 million people. Now that's rapid growth when you think about the times. These colonists were subject to British rule and British taxation, even though they didn't have any representation in the British government, in the British parliament. No representation. But they had to subject themselves to those laws, and they had to pay taxes. Conditions were ripe for revolution and in 1776 the United States was formed and they declared their independence from Great Britain A committee of five individuals were set up and they to draft this Declaration of Independence John Adams of Massachusetts Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania Thomas Jefferson of Virginia Robert Livingston of New York and Roger Sherman of Connecticut Jefferson was selected to write the first draft, which was debated over and over and revised. It went through many iterations. Some of it was deleted. Some they didn't like. Some they added in. They spent tireless time drafting this Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence was then ratified by the, Con- the Continental Congress on July 4, 1776. Of course, we know it as Independence Day. Amen? These United States would be far from perfect. But, with that one stroke of the pen, they declared themselves to be free. That famous declaration begins by saying, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. What they're saying is, is that we can't live under these rules. We don't have a say in our destiny. We don't have a say. You take our money, and we don't even have a say in how much of it you can take or what you can do with it. They felt like slaves. They felt less than equal to the same subjects under British rule. And shortly thereafter, followed some of the most famous, the most remarkable words written in modern history. The Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Notice they put in their document, creator. They're acknowledging a created creator being. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They established this country under biblical principles. They acknowledged the creator God. And they acknowledged his free will. Remember, I've talked about that every message, that all men have free will. The Lord himself, the Lord's government established free will and liberty. So why shouldn't man's government follow the same model as the Lord? In fact, if we would follow the model of the Lord, we wouldn't have the problems we have. Amen? Now, sometimes this system doesn't do what we hope it would. But historically, this nation has stood for liberty. It has stood for freedom. At the gateway to New York Harbor, the Statue of Liberty stands, proudly proclaiming, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send, the, send these the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift up my lamp beside the golden door. America's saying, we'll take anybody that wants to be free that wants to live under God's rule and self-rule. Friends, there can be little doubt that God was involved in the founding of this great nation. Amen? The founders knew it, and they promised it to the whole world. They proclaimed it to the whole world in their declaration by celebrating God and declaring that the country would only be In place only be founded if we follow God Even our currency says in God we trust This nation has declared that it would stand on principles cherished by God himself But Could it be that one day These principles might be challenged Could it be that these principles would come under attack I see some people nodding already, amen Today we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to discover some of the prophecies of the Bible that discuss the United States of America. And it's going to reveal the role that this influential, this historic nation would occupy down in the close of time. With the United States of America having such a profound influence on the world today, you might expect you'd find direct reference to it in the Bible. Remember, the Bible doesn't talk about every nation in the world that's ever existed. You're not going to read in the Bible about Costa Rica. You're not going to read about Australia. You're not going to read about Bangladesh. It doesn't mean that they didn't exist. It didn't mean that they don't have a role in the world. The Bible brings into view nations that have a direct impact on God's relationship with his covenant people. The Garden of Eden is talked about in the Bible. Because that's where Adam and Eve were. That's where it started. We also read in the Bible about a place called Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Abraham, the father of the faithful, was called from. We read in the Bible about Egypt, where God's people were kept in slavery and ultimately delivered by the glory of the Lord. Amen? Then there's Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, and the divided nations of Europe where the gospel spread. Remember, we talked about those in the prophecy discussions. All of these are brought to light because they impacted in some way God's people or God's relationship with his covenant people. So, it would be surprising if the United States was not mentioned in the Bible as a nation that represented the first time in the history of the world That as a nation, founded as a republic. And founded on the principle of religious liberty. Today, the United States is the world's last remaining superpower. And is seen as such. In fact, other countries look to us as that last remaining superpower. Here's what the world says about this. This came from the Australia Sydney Morning Herald. It's an Australian newspaper. Americans should admit the truth and face up to their responsibilities as the undisputed masters of the world. Fact is, no country has been as dominant culturally, economically, technologically, and militarily in the history of the world since the Roman Empire. Think about that. And we talk about Rome. The Bible, especially the New Testament, the Gospels, right? They're full of discussions about the times during when Rome dominated the world. When there's trouble in the world today, the world turns to the United States. The one question that looms large in the end of time, will the United States let freedom ring in the last days of earth's time? So far, we've seen in the, in the Word of God that the Bible talks about the rise and fall of many nations. The first nation that we talk about in our prophecy discussion was Babylon. The first book of Daniel, it talks about Babylon. Babylon had a profound influence on God's covenant people, amen? God's people were kept in Babylon for seven decades. Seven decades. God allowed that to happen. Hoping that Israel would be cured of their sin. That they would stop their idolatry. That they would come back to the Lord. In some cases, that did happen for some people. But ultimately, Medo-Persia conquered Babylon. The Medo-Persians allowed God's people to go back to their homeland. Remember we talked about that? They and permanently reestablished the Jewish society back in Jerusalem. That was the Medo-Persians. They allowed that. But ultimately, Medo-Persia fell. After Medo-Persia, Greece, under Alexander the Great, conquered them and ruled. We talked about that. And then Greece fell, fell to Rome. It was on a Roman instrument of torture, the crucifix, that Jesus himself died. The Romans were in power when Jesus walked the earth in his earthly ministry. In the book of Daniel, the prophecy said that Rome would divide. Remember the ten toes of that statue? Divided, divided Rome that out of Rome would come something that the Bible would call this little horn. I remember them ten toes would never adhere to each other. Remember I talked about that? Night number two of, this, of the seminar? And they haven't, they haven't adhered yet, have they? I talk, Look at today, the Euro- European Union. They can't get along for two days. They can't agree on currency. This little horn. Bible commentators believe that this little horn in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, is the same power that John writes about in Revelation chapter 13. So there was Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then Rome divided into ten nations. And out of these would this little horn would arise. As I said, the same power that John talks about in Revelation 13. Turn me to Revelation chapter 13. Page 1183. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And then Revelation 13 verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. So who gave him this beast the power? The dragon. And we know from previous discussions the dragon's who? Satan, amen. So this beast that John's telling us about comes to power, it gets its power from Satan. Now verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And now in verse 4, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So here you have, along comes this beast, this beast power, this little horn power that we're going to talk about. We actually have an entire message this coming week about this very power. And this is the first beast in Revelation 13. Now remember that. This is that first beast, because we're going to talk about a second beast here in a second. Now understand, when we refer to something as a beast, please, we're not being insulting. It's simply a prophetic symbol in the Bible that represents a kingdom or a nation. And then in Revelation 13, we see yet another beast, or another kingdom or nation. Now turn with me to Revelation 13, verse 11. Verse 11, then I saw another beast. Notice John saying, this is a different beast. Coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So like I said, notice this is a different beast than the first one we talked about. So who is this beast? Who's this second Where does it come from? Well, let's break it down. Let's analyze it. Let's see if we can identify who it could be. Now, we know this beast comes up out of the earth, while the first one comes up out of the sea, right? That's the difference. One of the differences. Now, the sea and prophecies represent a multitude, or lots of people, populated lands. In contrast to the first beast, this second one comes up out of the earth, which is the opposite of the seas. So it's not coming up out of the water. It's not coming up out of a heavily populated area, but rather a sparsely populated region of the world. So we know this second beast is going to come up out of an area of the world that's not heavily populated. So when does it arise? It has to be recently, relatively recently in history. Remember, we had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then we had Rome divided into ten nations. And many of those nations we recognize today still, amen? And then God says this little horn power is going to come out of those. So we know this earth beast, this second beast, must be a relatively new nation in the history of the world. And notice how it came up. It says, it came up out of the earth. Notice this, two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. In the book of Revelation, every time the word lamb is used, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Except this time. Notice the small-cased L. The lamb represents Jesus all the way through the book of Revelation. But here it's talking about something lamb-like. Not Jesus the lamb. Revelation is telling us that this earth beast is going to appear like Christ. It's going to appear Christ-like. Its character is going to appear to be like the Lamb. So we can expect this nation, this kingdom, to be Christ-like. And unlike the first nation, remember in the first discussion the first beast had, had a crown? This one's not described with any crowns. When you have a crown, there's a monarchy. A nation with a king or a queen. That's a monarchy. And this one, no crowns. No monarchy. So this nation's going to be different. It's not going to have a ruling family, a monarchy power. This nation's going to stand for freedom. So here's what we know about this beast. We know it's going to arise in a sparsely populated area. Right? The opposite of multitudes... We also know that it's a relatively young nation, a, recently, a nation that's recently come on the scene. We know there's no monarchy, and we also know that it's going to assume a position of worldwide power and influence. Now, I submit to you, the only nation that has ever existed on this earth that can fit all of those is the United States of America. When it arose, it was known as the New World. It was a very sparsely populated wilderness area. It was actually a haven for people escaping religious persecution. In fact, this was the main reason many colonists came to this land, was to escape religious persecution. That was their sole reason. They had no idea what they were going to do economically. They had no idea what they were going to do to feed themselves, to survive. They wanted to worship freely. They didn't want to belong to the government's church. As I said, for many confidence, this was the sole reason that they undertook this dangerous journey and lived under privation and risked their lives in a wilderness. They wanted to worship as they wished, with no interference from a king or queen or any secular power. America was a place that was founded upon the freedom of religion and the freedom of self-government. But according to what we've read in the Bible, there's going to be a change that comes over the heart of this nation. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 13, back to verse 11 where we were. It says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb folk spoke like a dragon. As I said, in the book of Revelation, the dragon refers to Satan. So this second nation is going to appear Christ-like. But it's going to speak like the dragon. It's going to appear to be free. It's going to appear to be like Christ. But it's going to speak with oppressive force. And it's also going to lead with deception. Now a nation speaks... Through its laws, its legislature. That's how a nation speaks. So the Bible's telling us that there will be laws that will be passed that sound a whole lot more like the dragon than they do the lamb. The Bible's saying that these laws will reflect the character of Satan, not the character of God. Let's go to Revelation 13, verse 12. The next verse. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Notice that term, worship. Remember, I've discussed this throughout the series. Worship is the root of the great controversy. It's the root of Satan's rebellion. Satan craved worship in heaven. He sought worship in the Garden of Eden. He had deceived, he has deceived and coerced man throughout the ages to gain worship. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, it was in the pursuit of worship. Remember what he said, worship me and you can have all this? Worship. And Revelation tells us that in the end of time, Satan's going to launch out, launch an all out onslaught on God's people in the pursuit of worship. And according to the Bible, this second nation will use its power and influence to cause the earth to follow that first nation, that first beast, that famous beast of Bible prophecy. In other words, the famous beast power of the Bible prophecy will actually need another power to exert the physical force and and exert the coercion exert the influence in order to force the whole world to follow it. That first beast isn't going to have the physical power. is isn't going to have the military might. I'm giving you a little sneak peek. a Tuesday night. It will not have that physical might. So it's going to need to partner with someone that does. So how could this happen? How is this even possible? Well, let's try to understand it. With freedom comes responsibility. Remember when I discussed God giving us the freedom of choice or free will? And that being the greatest risk of all time? Remember? When you extend freedom, you take a risk. The first time someone gave you the keys to the car, they took a risk. Maybe a huge risk. (laughs) I could tell you a story about my first day of driving, but but you had likely demonstrated that on some level you were responsible enough for them to take that risk. And when you were given those keys, someone was expecting you that you would be responsible, that you would respect the freedom that you were given. With that level of responsibility, like I said, comes a certain amount of risk. In this great nation, you are allowed to learn how to fly an airplane, right? Anybody can do that. Now, we hope and we expect that when you learn to fly that plane, you don't fly it into a building. As I said, with freedom, you assume a certain amount of responsibility. And when the person that gives you that freedom is is assuming a certain level of risk. So when God gave us that free will, he took a tremendous risk. It was the biggest risk of all time. But he took this risk because God wanted his people to freely worship him. He wanted them to worship him out of love. He did not want people to worship him out of fear. He did not want slaves or robots. He could have easily created those. Amen. It's not what he wanted. It's not worship then. It's fear. Friends, this is the root of God's character. And it's reflected in all that he does. Everything he does goes to love. Friends, as Americans, we were given an awesome gift from God. The gift of freedom and the gift of self-government. But what's happened in America? What's happened now? So many people have abused that freedom. This was once a country where people came to because they wanted to worship God. But it doesn't look that way anymore, does it? Society has been corrupted. Appalling behavior is actually rewarded. There's no longer any meaningful moral restraint. And being caught in a shameful situation is actually, actually now a ticket to fame. Think about that. We reward that behavior now. This has become an anything goes society. And there's hardly any reaction anymore to things that just a generation ago would have been considered scandalous. The media glorifies sin and immorality. And it seems as if no one anymore has any shame. What has happened to the United States of America? I'll tell you what's happened. We have asked God to stay out of our business. We don't want him in the classroom anymore, we don't want him in the courtroom. And worst of all, we don't want him in our family rooms anymore. We have erected altars to the gods of our own devising. You see, for a nation, any nation to be truly great, it must rest upon the principles of the one who made it great. In order for the United States of America to get to the position that it has been was because it was founded on God's principles. But generally, America has turned our backs on God. And as the Bible says... You reap what you sow. The deeper we get into the cesspool of sin, the more obvious it is to people that we need help from above. Amen? The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, when a nation or a people is down, the best thing a nation can do or people can do is to look up. The only hope for this or any nation is to turn to Christ, embrace Him, and follow His principles. We have been given tremendous freedom in this country. Freedom to worship God or not to worship God. But as much as I would love for everybody here to worship God, amen, it isn't appropriate that people should be compelled to worship God. Jesus never compelled anyone. Down in the close of time, we know that conditions are going to get worse. We've talked about this in several sessions. Remember 9-11? Remember the reaction in the country? People said, it's time to get back to God. Churches were overflowing. You saw gospel ministries on all the TV channels. Everybody praying. How long did that last? About two weeks. Until they found out that more buildings weren't coming down. Oh, okay, the coast is clear, we can go back to living like we were. Friends, the trend right now is away from God, not towards God. Now, we can imagine the call going out that this nation nation must get back to God. In fact, as we see things unfold in the world today... We can see some terrible events happening. We've already seen some in in this past year. And we can anticipate sometime soon there's going to be a calamity, maybe a natural disaster, maybe terrorism, maybe financial collapse, and there's going to be a cry. We need to get back to God. Something's going to cause people to say, let's get back to God. Something is going to cause this nation to clamor for help. But remember, and I urge you, caution. A change comes over the heart of this nation. Laws will be enforced that will be promoted as good for the nation. Laws that will seem to help us, and they will appear to honor God. But in actuality, these will not be good laws. And in fact, they will bring disaster instead. It's one thing to say, I'm going back to God. It's one thing to go back to God. But it's much different when somebody says, when they tell you they're going to go back to God, you better make sure that they're on the right path towards God. Amen? The Bible tells us that the second nation in Revelation 13 is going to use its influence. And it's going to use its power to elevate that first beast, that first nation to a position where it dominates the whole world and ultimately has global supremacy. In the Bible, it says there will be an act of worship enforced by law. But what's that act of worship that we're talking about? Turn me back to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, verse 16 and 17. It says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So people are going to be forced to accept this mark or they're going to risk peril. The Bible tells us that this second nation, will be at the forefront of enforcing the mark of the beast. It causes or forces or coerces all the world to follow that first beast. The second beast is going to be the mechanism that causes people to follow that first beast. According to the word of God, laws will be enacted enforcing an unbiblical act of worship. Those who don't receive the mark of the beast will not be able to buy or sell anything. Now, I know there's some confusion about this, so we'll unravel it a little bit. For a long time, people have been saying that this this mark of the beast is that thing that governs your buying and selling, because then you won't be able to buy or sell without it. So some have said the mark of the beast is a smart card, or it's a silicon chip, or a laser tattoo across your forehead. Many people say that this is what the mark of the beast actually is because these are ways of preventing people from buying and selling. Has anyone ever heard this? Come on. Okay, amen. Friends, we need to recognize there's a world of difference between what the mark of the beast is and how the mark of the beast is going to be enforced. Let me explain this for you. Imagine, if you will... That I tell you the mark of the beast is on a shelf. It's in a box up on my shelf. We don't know what it is yet. It's in that box. But it's sitting up there in that box. Just sitting there. Now there's a crowd of people over here. And someone says, you go and take the mark of the beast. But they say, no, we won't. Well, how are you going to convince them that you want them to do that? They don't know what it is. Right? How do you convince them? Simple. You prevent them from buying and selling things. Now the mechanism that prevents people from buying and selling, whatever that is, is not the mark of the beast. Some people would saying we don't want the mark of that beast. So they're going to need convincing. More likely, they're going to need coercing to receive the mark of the beast. So they'll be prevented by buying it, from buying and selling. People who can't buy food or pay rent are going to feel pressure to receive this mark of the beast. When the lights go out because you can't pay the electric bill, when there's no heat in your home, or if you can't buy clothing for your family, your faith is going to be tested, amen? So whatever the mechanism is that prevents you from buying and selling, that's not the mark of the beast. That's the mechanism to get you to accept the mark. The mark of the beast is an entirely different issue. As I said, the mechanism against buying and selling is merely that mechanism used to coerce people to receive the mark. So, what will that mechanism be? You think, wow, Dan's going to give me the secret. We don't know what that mechanism is. Nobody knows. Of course, we can speculate. We already live in a society today where it's very possible for someone to stop you from buying and selling. Your bank manager today, if he or she wanted to, can cause you to stop buying and selling right now by the, with a click of a mouse. The future has arrived. They can stop your credit cards with a click of a mouse. There are companies right now that require you to get paid your salary electronically. Where I work, you have no option. If you want to get paid, it's electronic. And now there's a huge movement afoot to eliminate currency altogether. Friends, once we're electronic, your ability to buy and sell can be instantly turned off. So let's be very clear. The mechanism that prevents you from buying and selling is not the mark of the beast. It's a way of coercing you you to receive that mark of the beast. I want you to store that up because we're going to spend an entire night, Tuesday night, or Thursday night, I'm sorry, on the mark of the beast. Down through the years, there have been other mechanisms that have already kept people from buying and selling. We've already seen it. During apartheid in South Africa, there were economic sanctions that prevented other nations from even dealing with South Africa. There were sanctions on Iran Cuba. During wartime, we had rationing in this country. You couldn't just go down and buy all the flour or butter you wanted. My own grandfather tells me about World War II, the gas rationing. Well, they only could get so much gas at a time. As I've said, we already have seen controls on the ability to buy and sell. The Bible is very clear. We can all see that the world is rapidly declining, amen? We can all see that the planet is under attack from every direction. Many would agree that the only thing that can save this world is a return to God's principles. Remember my quote of the noted atheist Richard Dawkins? An atheist even said, the only hope for this world is a return to Christianity. That's an atheist That tells you he knows how bad things are. He doesn't know why they're that bad. But we could give him a Bible study. The problem is this. The beast power is going to confuse the whole world into thinking that God's principles are being lifted up when they're not. This beast is going to make you think, oh, we're following the Lord. We're lifting up the Lord's government. We're following his principles. When in fact, the world isn't going to be doing that at all. The beast power is going to confuse the whole world into thinking that they're doing God's will when in fact they're not doing God's will. This beast power is going to offer you what will look like a blessing. But that blessing will in reality be a curse. It will be a curse directly opposed to the will of God. The time is coming when the world will say, the mark of the beast Great, this is something I want. Give it to me. This is something from God. This is something that can save us. Friends, it's not what the Bible says. But the world's going to say that. And this beast power is going to feed that. Going to promote that. So people will clamor for the very thing the Lord tells us not to accept. People are going to beg for that. And it will be an absolute disaster. The beast power will show us great wonders. Even miracles to deceive us. Causing us to separate from God and fall in line with Satan and his rebellion. This beast will claim powers only possessed by God. And many people will fall for that deception. The beast is going to claim to raise the dead. We just talked about the question this morning. Only Jesus can raise the dead. The Bible is clear, amen? But people are going to believe that this being raised the dead. Revelation 13, verse 15 says, And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Friends, we're going to identify this first beast in just two nights. And down in the end of time, something called the image to the beast will be set up. And this will cause people to worship and serve that first beast. And who did that first beast get its power from? The dragon, amen, Satan. So if you're following a beast that got its power from Satan, who are you following? You're following Satan. And no, you can't claim I'm three times removed and didn't know. The Bible says if you don't go along with the program, you're going to be threatened with death. And some will be put to death. If you don't fall in line, you'll be jailed. You'll be persecuted. And friends, many will be killed. I know it's hard for us to imagine in this day and time, a state of affairs, when people would be so fanatical about the religion that if you didn't agree with them, they'd kill you, right? Right? We don't see that. That's real, that's unusual. Please, that was sarcasm. Friends, that's not that hard to understand, is it? We see it in the world right now. Look around. People are being killed for their faith right this minute. And all you can do, I have to do is look back in history a little bit. All around the world, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people were put to death persecuted for what they believed simply because they disagreed with somebody else when it came to matters of faith and religion. Friends, we can—we don't have to imagine it happening. We're seeing it happen. And the Bible tells us that that is what's going to happen. It's going to get worse at the end. You see, it's a subtle argument. But a good counterfeit always runs very close to the genuine thing. It's not a good counterfeit unless it looks really close to the original, amen? As I told you in the first night, if I give you a $3 bill, you're not going to go spend it. But if I give you a pretty good-looking $20 bill, I can probably fool a whole bunch of you to go spend it. An image to the beast will be formed. And the main issue will be a question of worship. Either you will worship God in spirit and in truth, or you will not, and you will follow man. Or the traditions of men. You say, well, wait a minute, Dan. No, we won't. We've been warned. Friends, we've seen it happen before in the Bible. Remember in Daniel chapter 3. Remember, I talked about it Thursday night. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this great image. 90 feet tall, made of solid gold. Daniel had told the king that he had a head of gold and he was, he represented the image in Daniel two. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that because that message told him his kingdom was going to come to an end. He wanted to show that his kingdom would never pass away. So he made a whole image out of pure gold and set it up on the plain of Dura. He, think about the end of that chapter for a moment. He acknowledged God as God, but thinking, well, oh, I'm going to trick him and I'm going to overrule his prophecy. So then he said to the people after he erects this image... Come out here and worship this image. But he didn't just say, come out and worship this image if you want, did he? He said, if you don't, we'll throw you into the fiery furnace. Coercion. Force. Now, according to the Bible, Daniel wasn't there, but we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that crowd that day. Everybody on the plate of Dura started to bow down. When somebody noticed that there were three young men standing bolt upright. Now we know they could have pretended to bend down and tie their shoes, couldn't they? Right at the right time, oh, my shoe's untied. But they didn't bow down. The king said, bend down, and they refused. They stood up proudly. We will not bow to this image. Then they were hauled over to the king, and the king asked him, what's this all about? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, King, we are not careful to answer in this matter. Well, think about that. What they're saying is, is we know the consequences. We know the risk. Our God, if he wants to, can save us from out of this fiery furnace. If he wants us to die, no problem. Basically what they were saying. But we are not going to disobey God. These young men had made a decision in their mind." And the Holy Spirit locked their knees so they would not bow down. They made a stand for God. And Christ stood with them. And then Nebuchadnezzar had those boys cast into that furnace. And yet, not only were they unharmed, Jesus himself stood with them in the flames. Friends, what was the issue? Worship. That was the question. We see the same thing play out in Daniel chapter 6. Some jealous politicians had a law passed designed to get Daniel in trouble. The law stated that the only person you could pray to was the king. Does that sound like a free nation? Does that sound like religious liberty? The law was a setup for the sole purpose of trapping God's servant Daniel. They directed it only at Daniel. That's who they were trying to get. So if you disobeyed this law, you would end up in the lion's belly. Daniel knew about the law. But he wouldn't obey. In fact, he went home and prayed just like he had every other day before. He prayed in the open, just like he always had. People could see him in the open and hear him pray. They knew what he was doing. And into the lion's den he went. But we know the story, right? Daniel was delivered. God shut those lions' mouths. When the king came to inquire about his well-being the next morning, Daniel was unharmed. God had delivered him. What was the question in that situation? Worship. Whom you will worship? And whom you will obey? Will you obey God or will you obey man? Will you follow God's principles? Or will you follow man's principles? That was the question that was asked back then. And friends, it's the question God asks you right now. Are you willing to make a stand for Jesus? Are you willing to allow God's will to be done in your life? Are you willing to diverge from a nation if it goes off course and leaves God's path? Because that's the heart of this message today. If this nation diverges off where it was founded, which path are you going to take? Which fork in the road will you take? Will you just follow along to go along so that you can keep buying and selling? Or will you stay true to the world? Or I'm sorry, stay true to the Lord Rather than fall, or risk falling, do it in spite of falling. Like Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. They didn't care about the risk. They didn't care about the implications. The only course that they knew was to stay true to God regardless if the world falls. Are you willing to say, Lord, come what may, I want you to live in my heart. Lord, live your perfect will in me and give me the grace I need to let your will be done. Brothers and sisters, Earth's last crisis is soon to come. It's upon our doorstep. But Jesus will come and live in your life so you do not have to live in fear about what's coming. He will come and live in your heart so that you do not need to fall. Instead, you can stand tall with the Lord. You do not need to fear. You can stand strong. I promise you, Jesus will come and live in your heart. And he will give you grace to stand for him. If you will allow him, Christ will live his life in you. And you will be ready to meet Jesus when he comes to take you home. You will be ready to stand when those forces come to bear on you. When times get tough. When you're not sure what the next moment's gonna bring. You will not need to worry about it because you know the Lord is in your heart. The Lord will give you strength. But most of all, He gives you the promise of eternal life and salvation. Friends, do not love the things of this world more than your eternal life. To love the things of this world is to risk everything. Friends, I beg you, read your Bibles, study this, get the CDs, play it over, ask me any question you want. This is a key point in the state of the history that we're in right now, in the point in time that we're in. perilous times are upon us. But you do not have to be worried about them if you accept the Lord into your heart and accept his gift of salvation. I ask you today, was this message clear? Amen. Thank you so much. Let's close with a word of prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Once again, we thank you for this Sabbath rest. We thank you for all that you've done to us and for us. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for lifting up this great nation, giving us the freedom, the liberty to worship you as we want to, to stay true to your principles of government, a free will. But, Lord, we also ask you for strength. We ask you for guidance. And we ask you for your will to be our will as we face a time when we must make a decision on which course we will take. Lord, I ask you, please, lift these souls up. Keep them strong. Give them your heart and your love that they sown desire. And Lord, if they're wrestling with whether to come to you, please send your Holy Spirit. Touch them. Touch their hearts and minds. Continue to call them. Continue to point them to the word and to the truth. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for life itself. Lord, we ask you all of this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.